All right, so uh, I get tasked with uh, the next mark of a healthy church. And so we've been through several, and one of them was biblical doctrine. We talked about proper use of sacraments. We talked about uh, the proper use of church discipline. Uh, we dug into genuine worship that is aligned with right doctrine. We dug into effective prayer being a mark of a healthy church. We have spent time on being an effective witness, so evangelism as a mark of a healthy church. We would uh, add to that discipleship clearly, uh, and so I'm sure we'll we'll dig in more to that as we go. But uh, effective fellowship is another mark that we've discussed, and then Landon went into um, spiritual power for ministry, like where we get our strength from. Uh, So the Holy Spirit indwelling us as a people to carry out this task that we've been marked to do. Uh, And then personal holiness and care for the poor. And today I get to uh, tackle our love for Christ. So if we're looking at what unifies us as a church collective, local body, expand that out. um, Love for Christ should be a mark of a healthy church. This is uh, clearly spoken. Nothing difficult today at all, I don't think. Um, the scriptures are super clear here. Um, when we look at the call of every Christian to strive to build up the body, like First Corinthians fourteen twelve talk, uh, this is for the glory of God. So, like, if I had to say it in a way of kind of what we've been doing, we would say that the marks of a healthy church are all for the glory of God in building up the church. So, as the church is. Uh, built up, we, we mean a couple of things. We do mean growing uh, numerically. That's part of what we mean. Um, we should see, like, and we have seen, like, over history, this small beginning in Jerusalem go from 12 disciples to 2.2 billion strong today. Uh, it is undeniable the growth of the body of Christ over history. And through that, we mean more the numbers, we mean at the heart of this thing a growth towards spiritual maturity. Uh, and so when we speak of our love for Christ today, we are meaning individually and collectively our growing into a maturity here, like understanding uh, this love deeper and deeper and deeper and wider. And like the way Paul puts it in Ephesians is like we just understand the height, the length, the width, the breadth of the love of God for us uh, and pour ourselves into that. I don't think it's an accident that Paul's praying those things for the Ephesians um, because as he does, like we, we remember like to the church at Ephesus when we see that in Revelation 2, 4, like they are reprimanded in a sense for losing the love they had at first. So I think Paul saw that in advance when he writes that letter to Ephesians. Then when you see John address that church later, something happened, right, and along the way. And so we would ask a couple of questions here. So like, what are the consequences for us individually, collectively, of waning in our love for Christ? And two, what are the possibilities if we grow here to maturity. So almost a negative and a positive. Uh, We see the warning passage in Revelation. uh, And in that, you hear 
automatically in response to that a call to repentance. Um, and then at the same time, you see churches like Philippi, like you read through Philippians, their love is just shining like lights in the dark. And you see the potential here of what this means. And if there's a mark that should unite us, um, when I look out my window of my house, I see uh, Presbyterian Church, I see First Baptist, I see Church of Christ. If I walk just a couple of minutes down the road, uh, you can get... Uh, just countless other churches. I think there's a Disciples of Christ church. I think there's a, a Methodist church shining like a beacon uh, in the distance. And then you, you get new church plants. Uh, what was the new one uh, downtown? Uh, good night. The rock. The, yeah, the rock. See, <laughs> you've got worship lives down there somewhere. Listen, if there's a mark that ought to unite us all, um, it is the love for Christ. If there's one that clearly, at least in my personal experience, like I, I work in a blessing of a place surrounded by teachers who are amazing, the most gifted people on planet Earth, and I get to work with them every day, uh, and the vast majority of them are believers. Uh, and if you break it down, we've got Methodists, we've got Baptists in there, we've got some Pentecostals in there, uh, we've got some Presbys in there. And if there is one thing, I, if there's one mark, that I would say unites us all, that is visible and that is clear, it is the love for Christ that we share. Uh, we are going to, if we sit down at a table, have various doctrinal differences, some of them minor, right? Uh, with my Catholic friend, some more major. But that love for Christ is so evident in each of these that I would say, this is one that we can hold hands on. Uh, now, that means we need to dig into it pretty deep. So, the text that we will go from in the beginning, uh, we'll start in First Peter chapter 1. And I want to read verse 8 for you first. And we see Peter here writing to the church in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. So it's a circular letter. It was going to a lot of different churches. Uh, he had a lot in mind here, and he says a lot. And in verse 8 of chapter 1, he says, Though you have seen, you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Okay. I read that, and Peter's poetic in saying this. He is unloading upon us in this first chapter a call back to the divine origin of our love. He is telling us the nature of this love in chapter 1, and he is going to talk about the fruit of this love throughout his letter. And I want to dig in here, and we're going to use a lot of text to kind of support what he's saying. But in 1 Peter chapter 1, if you launch into that 1 verse 8, you're missing a big part. Because like the whole of 1 Peter chapter 1 is two sentences in Greek. It's a long sentence. It's almost like Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, this is like verses 1 through 14. There are one sentence in the Greek. And you're like, that is a massive run-on. What are you doing? 
But he has said things in verse 8 that if you just jump in there, you don't get it. So we always need to contextualize whatever we talk about. So let's zoom in. Let's go back. All right. So to the beginning in verse 1, and let's read up to what he's saying in verse 8 and then verse 9. Okay. So let's do this. Peter, verse 1, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who are elect exiles in the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for sprinkling with His blood. So note the Trinitarian talk here. Right? Don't miss the Trinity in that passage. Like we are seeing a Father who knows all. We are seeing a Spirit who sanctifies us. And we're seeing a Christ who has poured out His blood. And then we are in, in relation to that called to obedience and allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so don't miss that. And then you continue. Uh, in verse 3, uh, so, or verse 2, sorry. Um, May grace and peace be multiplied to you. So that's kind of a generalized but very meaningful uh, call to these believers he's writing to to sink their hearts into the grace and peace of God. So everything he's about to say, he's like, grace to you, right? Peace to you. He is extending his hand of grace on behalf of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And here's what he says. Get this into your heart. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Exclamation point. According to His great mercy. So whose great mercy? His great mercy. He has caused us... So who is the cause coming from? God. To be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's meaty. So let's, let's stick there for a second. So according to whose great mercy, who has caused us to be born again? Did you birth yourself? Did you give yourself new birth? This is a divine work from who? From God. Okay? That's important to what we talk about when we get into the love for Christ. To a, what kind of hope? We're born again into a living hope. So what does it mean that something's living? This is not some just ethereal hope. It's not some just like, oh, hope's a good word. It's a living hope. This is a hope that's eternal in scope that we pour our lives, as we pour our lives out, like we are not those who are hopeless, like we have a living hope. And that living hope exists in us because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. All right. Now, verse 4, to an inheritance that is imperishable. So, so... Who alone makes this imperishable? Why is this hope imperishable? Because God is eternal and He's imperishable. 
This is good, all right? It's undefiled, so it's pure, right? It's unfading. It doesn't go away. And it's kept in heaven for you. Who is keeping this living hope? God is, okay? So this living hope, this inheritance now, is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for us because the God that is keeping us is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Verse 5, who, by God's power, all right? Whose power? (laughs) This is all resting upon God. Are being guarded through faith. So, we have faith in God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And then he says in verse 6, In this you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and the glory and the honor and the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then he says, though you've not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with joy, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This love that we are speaking of today, this love for Christ that we have, that unites us like as one brotherhood of Christians, like marching forward the kingdom of God in this world, charging the gates of hell, one thing that unites us is the fact that we share a common, deep, profound love for Christ. And if we have three points that we want to get into, that we want to make, that I think just come from, like spill off the page in 1 Peter, especially chapter 1, we want to say three things. Okay, so one, we want to talk about the divine origin of our love for Christ. Like, that has to be first. Okay, so let me give you a lot of passages here. All right? But I'll try to say them slow enough to where you can write them if you're taking notes. So, 1 John 4, 19... Through 21. I'm going to trim this up fast, but we find the precious words we love because, finish it, He first loved us. Okay? So, we love vertically and horizontally because who first loved us? Good. It's because God, because the Father, the Son, the Spirit loved us first, we love. Right? This is vital. We see in Ezekiel 36, this begins at new birth. 
Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27 says, I will give you a new heart. Hundreds of years before Jesus ever came to initiate this work, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to carefully obey my rules. Ezekiel 36. Yes. So, we see that God is the grand initiator of this new birth. Right? Like, when we are dead in sin apart from Christ, us loving Christ is impossible apart from Him doing a work in us. This is not something you generate. This is not something you initiate. This is... His initiation, His work in making us born again, putting a new heart in us that beats with a passion for His glory, a new spirit within us that now emboldens us and awakens us to His love for us that we then extend out. Listen to Romans 5.5. Hope doesn't put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Like, do you see the divine origin of this? The whole, God, like, this is so good and so vital. God's love. Whose love is it? God's love. Okay. It's not our love for Him. It's God's love. Yes. Really yes, this is so good. So, God's love for us has been poured out, like think like water, like like poured out into our hearts through whom? Through the Holy Spirit here. But yes, but yes, hold it. Yes, you're not wrong. You're not wrong at all. But here specifically through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So, who is the giver of this gift? Did you give it to yourself? No, this is a gift given to us. So, we see the divine origin of our love for Christ. And that originates in His love for us, first and foremost. Two, the essence of our love for Christ. So, what is the essence, not the fruit, not the fruit. We want to distinguish here. And there's one that when we distinguish it, like I hear a lot of people really take out of context. And so we're going to dig into that at the end. But like, I think we almost have time. So the essence of our love for God, John seventeen twenty six. I have made known to them your name. This is Jesus praying to the Father. And I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them. And I in them. So where Russ was talking about. So the love that we have, the essence, the character, the nature of that love is grounded and rooted in the love of the Father and the Son shared. 
This is mind-blowing. So the world doesn't get to define love. We define love through the lens of the Godhead, the lens that the Father and the Son and the Spirit shared from all of eternity. That's the love that Jesus is praying to the Father would be in us. That's huge. That's huge for us. So, what does it mean? I think it's good to dig more into this. Um, We could see the psalmist, I think in Psalm 63.3, because your steadfast love, whose steadfast love? God's steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So praise is a fruit that's rooted in the steadfast love of God. Okay, So the love of God here, planted in our hearts, Matthew 10.37, calls us to allegiance. Right, Whoever loves the father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. There's a worth here. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. There's an allegiance that we are called to in this love of Christ, that we define our love by Christ's love for us. And that denotes an allegiance to us. And I would argue very, very strongly here, I think, that you cannot love your mother or father or your son or daughter as God calls you to apart from loving Him centrally at your core can't like can't because his love is pure his love is righteous his love is patient his love is kind and so in that we then extend that love out and that's a call to absolute allegiance to christ i think this love i'm sorry uh, that was matthew 10 37 and then and psalm 18 1 through 3 i'm going to try to get through this quick um we see, oh, this one's so good. Uh, a, this love, the essence of our love here causes us to reflect upon who God is. Um, so it, it directly like, pierces our eyes back to Him and mirrors it. So He says here, um, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. This love of God calls us to reflect upon who He is, and it's in reflecting upon who He is that that love becomes more pure and more pure and more aligned with who He is versus how we want to define it. Okay? And so we, we see, I think, in that text, this beautiful outpouring of David leaning into who God is. And as he leans into who God is, that is in turn cultivating a love for God in him and in his heart. We see this. Most of all, I think, in Philippians 3, where Paul is giving us some good stuff. Um, and and to remember here, where your treasure is, your heart will be also, right? 
And the essence of the love for God is like this treasuring cross, this loving cross, this and, and just being enamored with who Jesus is. Okay, And you see this, I think, most in Paul as he is writing to this church in Philippi in chapter 3 and he's going through his list of achievements and accomplishments and you see him make finally this just like pronouncement that all of this law keeping that I that I had done that that I had immersed my life in right I count as rubbish for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ so this is an allegiance talk as well but this is treasuring talk all right this is the nature not the fruit all right so check this out um, Philippians 3, 6, as to zeal a persecutor of the church is to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth. All right, so worth meaning value, treasuring for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And for his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. It means dung in Greek. In order that I may gain Christ, be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So we see like, the Spirit's pouring out love of God into our hearts. And in Paul, what this does is lead him to a place where he declares his love for Christ, his treasuring Christ, the surpassing worth of Christ, being foremost in his heart, mind, soul. That's the essence of loving Christ. It's Now, when we go to fruit, and I'll, I'll rush this really quick, there's a strong, strong, I think, group of some Christians who would read texts like we're about to read, and say that this is, I think they take it wrong. So let's go to John 14, 5, where Jesus says, and we're now on the fruit of our love for God. Um, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Okay? And some would say, okay, so that obedience is the sign of, or the working for that love. I think that's completely wrong. <laughs> so if, if, if you love me, then you will obey my commands. Does that make sense? Paul, as a Pharisee, was working out of this, if I just obey, God will love me. If I just obey and do all these things that the law gave, and he did, then God will love me. But it rips the heart out of Christendom when you feel as though somehow you are working for this salvation that Scripture is blatantly clear has been given, is a gift. And so here, like understand the fruit of our love for Christ plays out in our obedience to Christ. Right? Like our obedience is a sign and symbol 
of our love for Christ. It's the love for Christ that drives that obedience. And that love for Christ is grounded in His love for us. Okay? So when we, we talk about like how this love for Christ should play out, one, it should play out, and I'll go super fast, Luke 10, 27, in our horizontal love for our neighbors. So you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So this love for Christ pours out in our love toward Him and toward our neighbor. But it's not just our neighbor, right? Like when we see in 1 John 5, 1 through 5, this plays out in our holiness, our obedience, and our love for other believers specifically. So there, uh, he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So belief is first, all right? New birth. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. So this is speaking toward other believers, right? And by this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commands. So again, that is fruit. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commands. And His commands are not burdensome. That's it. Right there. For for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes in Jesus as the Son of God? So when we see that, we are seeing now all of our obedience, right? Like, please get this. So, all of our obedience is a fruit of God's love being poured out into our hearts, like us looking to God to define that love that we then extend horizontally to other believers as the church is built up and built up. Like you shower the love of Christ on people. Like part of what we do and why we're here is to show the love of Jesus to everybody we meet. And if you are a believer, if you have been born again, you will love the church. You will love His bride. And you will love your neighbor. It's who we are as a people. Like this is who we are and what we do and how we show it matters. And so you see other strong passages like 1 John 4.20 It says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. The commandment we have for him is that whoever loves God must also love his brother. So this is huge. This builds up the church as we show the love of Christ and shower the love of Christ and share the love of Christ with one another and then magnify that out into the world to those we work with, those we are blessed to hang out with every day, into our families, our homes. We are this shining light of the love of Christ. And our love for Him is grounded in His love for us. This should erupt in praise. Like the love of God, love of Christ, love that we have for Christ should in every way, shape, and form directly lead to praise. Like listen to Psalm 63:3. Because of your steadfast love is better than because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. That, one of my favorite texts. Like because your steadfast love is better than everything, my lips praise you. Like everything. 
Everything's a big word. And he means it. It should erupt in hope for the believer. Romans 8, 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good to those who are called according to His purpose. And that purpose is to make us more like Jesus, right? So this hope that we have comes from, like this hope that no matter how much we suffer, no matter how hard life gets, our love for God, like to those who love God, all things work together for good. Right? Does it mean that all things are good? It doesn't. But all things work together for good. So as we love Christ, this should erupt in us this hopefulness to carry on when life is hard. Right? And then finally, we end where we began. It should erupt in joy inexpressible. So back to 1 Peter 8, and we'll close it how we began it. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. So when we talk about the love of Christ, we see in close that this is rooted in His love for us and the Spirit pouring out the love of God into our hearts. And the essence of our love for Christ is the character of Christ. And us growing into conformity with how He loves. And the fruit of this love for Christ should be a mirroring back of our love to Him. And our love for our neighbor. Our love for His church. Joy inexpressible, filled with glory. Praise from our lips. And a hope, no matter how hard life gets, we are safe in the arms of the resurrected Christ. Let's pray.